0: So we're entering into a two-week Next Gen series, uh, starting this week and next week. And um, this series uh, is for parents, but it's more than that. I don't want, if, you're, if you are not a parent in the room with children in the house, I don't want you to think, okay, I just get a two-week break. Um, so let me be clear that while this is a series and you're going to hear a lot of language directed at parents... Um, more than that, this is a series directed at anyone who has opportunities to influence generations coming after them. And I would say, I would, I would challenge anyone in the room that thinks that does not apply to them that that is not true. Um, I believe uh, the Bible teaches that all of us, every single person in this room has opportunities to impact the next generation, people coming after you, whether you are 12 years old or whether you are... 102. We all have opportunities to influence the generations coming after us, and that's what this series is going to be about. And though we may use language occasionally directed at parents, um, I, I am hopeful and I believe that regardless of where you find yourself, whatever season of life you find yourself, there will be some, appl- there's some ideas, um, some things that you can apply to your season of life. Sound good? Yes. All right, five of you, that sounded good. How about the rest of you? Does that sound good? Yes. Excellent. Thank you. So uh, my wife and I, our first child was born 4,644 days ago, but who's counting? Uh, that's about 12 and a half years ago, and uh, since then we added two more. So we have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old in our home, girl, boy, girl. And uh, if we have learned anything in the past 12 years, it would be this. Parenting is God's way of humbling you. It's God's way of trying to turn you into a saint, or at least reveal that you are clearly not one. Parenting's difficult. It's probably the most difficult thing that we have ever done, trying to raise little human beings to grow up to be loving, well-adjusted, thoughtful, compassionate, gritty, hard-working followers of Jesus, who with their whole hearts cheer for the Badgers, Brewers, Bucks, and Denver Broncos. I'm from Denver. It's hard work. But I'm not telling parents in the room anything you don't know. In fact, um, I went online and just looked at some parenting memes. And uh, I found a few I just wanted to share with you to kick this weekend off. So, uh, wife wanted five minutes alone. This was outside her door. Any any moms relate to that picture? Or how about this one? Would you mind quickly helping me tidy around the house my kids? Or how about this one? Health blogger, preparing healthy homemade snacks for your kids is easy. Parents, is it though? This one, once I became a parent, I finally understood the scene where Yoda gets so tired of answering Luke's questions, he just dies. (laughs) Or this one, how I feel after putting the kids to bed. Maybe if you're a parent, you relate at least somewhat to some of those. We can laugh at those, but the reality is in 2022, it is not easy to be a parent. In fact, in a survey a few years ago, uh, a large group of parents were asked if they thought parenting was harder for them today than it was for their parents, and 80% said that they thought it was, and that survey was taken before a worldwide pandemic. So here we are in 2022. Parents buckle up. Teen and child anxiety and depression, suicide, online bullying, pornography use are all at an all-time high. While emotional health and emotional resilience are all at an all-time low. As I talk to school counselors and psychologists, they've told me they've never seen anything like this in all their years of practice. So we come to today, and our hope here at Northbrook um, is not that we would guilt anyone in the room. Uh, I think if you're a parent or grandparent, uh, you do just fine on your own feeling guilt over past mistakes. I know there's plenty of days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible parent. So our hope here over the next two weeks is not to guilt anyone. Our hope is that you won't look back at past mistakes. Our hope is that you'll be able to look forward at future opportunities to impact the next generation, whatever your role is today. And we're going to do that by looking at two of the values that we have for parents here at Northbrook. We're going to look at one this week and one next week. Um, If you have really good memory, you might remember last year we covered three of the uh, Northbrook parent values last year. Uh, Pastor Mike and I covered uh, fight for the heart, make it personal, and widen the circle. Uh, And if you're interested in those messages, you can find those in the archives on our website from about a year ago. Um, so today, again, we're going to cover one more value, and the next week we'll cover the last one. But before we get to today's value, I want to start with a question: What do our young people need from us? You know, besides our wallets and free Wi-Fi. Like, what do they? What do they need from us? I think, and numerous studies would back me up on this: what young people need most are quality relationships with people that care about them. They need us. Impacting, teaching, and equipping the next generation to live life well always starts out of relationship. For a young person, there is no substitute for quality relationships with adults who care about them. In fact, numerous studies have shown that for a young person to thrive after high school in their relationship with Christ, the biggest thing you can do is give them adults in their life that care about them. So here's today's challenge. And again, it applies to parents certainly, but it applies to all of us. And if you don't walk out with anything else today, if you just walk out deciding to take on this challenge, it'll be a weekend well spent. So here it is. Increase the quantity of quality moments you spend with the next generation. Increase the quantity of quality moments you spend with the next generation. Or set as one of the five values that we have here at Northbrook, create a rhythm. What does it mean to create a rhythm? It means to intentionally create regular moments of quality time with the generations coming after you. My parents will be the first to tell you they didn't do everything right in my childhood. But one thing that I remember as I look back at my childhood is my parents were really good at just creating quality moments where we could just hang out and do life together. Every Tuesday growing up, I remember we would pile into our old, ugly brown van and we would head to TCBY, just yogurt shop. And Tuesday nights uh, was 89 cent cone night. I think now it's like four ninety nine cone night, but at the time it was 89 cent cone night. And I would, and I'm a creature of habit, I would always get the same thing, white chocolate mousse in a waffle cone. And here's the thing, and, and I'm gonna sound a little old for those of you that are young, you're gonna roll your eyes at this, and, and that's fine, I'm gonna say it anyway. But I kind of missed Tuesday nights in that ice cream shop when we weren't rushed. There were no cell phones, there was no social media, There was no Netflix to run home to. There was like no agenda. There was was no hurry. We just sat in that ice cream shop as long as we wanted, goofing around and talking about life. And look, I love my smartphone. I'm not suggesting we go back to Netflix free days and no smartphones. But I am wondering if in all of the technology, and we'll talk about this a little later, I'm wondering if we lost something. I'm wondering if quality moments as a family are a little harder to come by. I wonder if the price that we paid for all of our great technology is that sitting at an ice cream shop with no agenda and just laughing and goofing off and talking about life has gotten lost. Can quality time happen randomly? Sure. But in most of our lives, a large quantity of quality time won't happen unless we intentionally schedule it and we fight for it. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 12, the writer is encouraging the Israelites. I want you to listen to what he says, especially as it relates to parents and as it relates to encouraging the next generation. The writer writes, Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That's how Hobby Lobby got started. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. So the writer of Deuteronomy essentially says, Here's what you guys need to do. You need to love the Lord your God with everything you got and keep his commands, but it doesn't stop there. There's this challenge, this opportunity to pass on that love to the next generation. The writer says it's not enough to love the Lord your God with all your heart because guess what? You are, we are always just one generation away from the church disappearing in the world. And so the writer says, love the Lord with everything you got and keep his commands, but you also have this opportunity to pass that on to the next generation. That is the legacy. That is the opportunity that you have to pass it on to the next generation. But notice this. I hope I don't offend anyone, but I'm going to say it anyway. Notice where he says that happens. He says that happens when you're at home and when you're on the road and at bedtime and at morning time. He does not say that happens in a class. He doesn't say that happens at church. And somewhere along the way, we, we got this idea that religion happens, relationship with God happens in a class or at church. And here's the thing. I, I, take, I take very seriously what we do here at Northbrook, and I take very seriously the opportunity to invest in the next generation. But understand that on our best day, our efforts are nothing compared to the opportunity you have to invest in your children. Life change happens at home, on a Tuesday night, on the road to a baseball tournament on a Saturday morning. It happens throughout your week, and and what happens here in a class is, is a small, small, small portion of that. We can come alongside you, but ultimately, the opportunity is yours to invest and encourage the next generation. The author goes further, and he says, tie them to your hands and put them on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house. The idea here, what, what is he saying? He's saying that what you care about, God's commands, right? A love for God, it should be so important that it's impossible for your children, for the, for the people that you're investing in, to not notice, right? You have something on your forehead, right? If you've ever had like a, like a zit or something on your forehead, right, that's really impossible to not notice, and the writer says this should be so obvious. The things that we care about, the values that we have should be so obvious that when our children see us, they immediately know what we care about. So I want you to think about this for a second. When your children, when your grandchildren, when the people in your life that are younger than you, when they look at you, what do they think you care about? If your forehead was a billboard for what you care about, what would they see or what, what, what would they think of when they see you? See, I think a lot of times, if we're honest, if I'm honest, and again, let me just say that this message I'm preaching to myself. So I'm not sitting up here saying, I got this parenting thing all figured out, you people need to get with the program. Rather, I'm saying, I'm preaching this to myself and you're, you're invited into my thoughts. But I wonder if sometimes we, we, we don't reveal the values we really care about because we settle for average questions. See, the questions that we ask young people are the things they're gonna believe we care about. And I think a lot of times we we settle for these questions that are decent but they're not the best questions we could be asking. And if or honest if, our, if, our, if we had like a billboard on our forehead about what we really cared about, if we asked our kids our grandkids what we care about, they might see something like, well my 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 parent they they care about they care about grades. By the questions they ask me, they always ask me, how was, did you do your homework? How did you do on that test? Are you studying enough? Got to get good grades to get into college. Like, it's really important you get those A's. Like, what do you mean, you, you know, what do you mean you didn't get an A? Is there anything wrong with caring about good grades? Of course not. Is it important that our kids take seriously their education? Absolutely. But is good grades really the top value we want to communicate to our kids? When when we, when our kids look at us, is, is grades really the thing we want them to think about when it comes to the values for them that we hold? Or maybe for others of us, it's, it's not about grades. It's just about being good. When our kids look at us, they think, well, my parent cares about me just, just behaving. I got to do my chores. I got to stay out of trouble, stay out of the principal's office. Don't want my teachers calling home. I just need to be good. And again, is there anything wrong with a child being good? Well, of course not. Like, I hope our kids are good. But is being good really the top value that we want our kids to focus on? Is that really what we want to communicate, that that's what our family cares about, being good? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe our family, maybe what what your kids see when they look at you is we we care about money in this house. You need to get a job, you need to work hard. College isn't going to pay for itself, or maybe it will, but you got to make money. And again, is there anything wrong with Working hard and, and providing a, a good living? Of course not. But is money really the top value? What would it look like to ask questions in addition to questions about grades and being good and working hard? What, what if we asked additional questions that reveal the values that we really, really care about? Things like living a thankful life. Hey, what are three things you're thankful for from today? Hey, what are three possessions that you're thankful for? Hey, how did you live a thankful life today? Because the reality is, studies show that if a child grows up thankful, their anxiety goes down and their quality of life goes up. So by teaching them to be thankful, we give, this, them, we give them this incredible gift. But if we don't ask them the question, they don't understand the importance So what would it look like to get to a point where where our kids know my parent values thankfulness? Now, some of you are thinking, if I ask my kid what they're thankful for, they're going to roll their eyes and go, eh. And I completely agree. But here's the beauty. Repeated questions over time teach our children what we value, even if they don't answer us. And so for many of us, the first time that we ask a question like, hey, what are you thankful for from today? We're going to get silence or eye rolls or like, I don't know. But the beauty of repetition as we, cre- as we create these quality moments over time where we ask questions that are really important, the beauty is it teaches them this is what we value in this house. And eventually, most kids will finally start coming up with quality answers, maybe. But even if they don't, even if they just say, eh, every single time you ask, you are creating a value in your home, that in our home we value thankfulness. Or maybe it's something just like love. Hey, how did you how did you show God's love to others today? Hey, I remember you saying that there's that bully at your school. Did you find an opportunity to show him God's love? Hey, how did you experience God's love today? Did you experience God's love through a teacher or a friend? Hey, were you able to show God's love to your bus driver today? to your teammates. And again, most kids, if you ask that question the first time, they're gonna go, well, I don't know. But questions over time reveal what we value. And as we ask that question over and over, our kids begin to go, oh, we value love in this house. Experiencing God's love and giving God's love. Or maybe there's just an opportunity by the questions that we the questions we ask to reveal that, that we care about our kids more than what they do or perform. I don't know about you, but I can get into this habit of just asking our, my kids, like, how are you doing in your performance, grades, being good, even being thankful and loving others, right? That's all performance-based. But, but what if we just ask questions that reveal to our kids that we just care about them? Hey, how are you today? What are you excited about? Anything frustrating you? Anything bothering you? Or as kids get older, a great question that uh, my wife and I's counselor taught us to ask each other and our kids is this question What was it like to be you today? What was it like to be you today? I don't care what you did or how you performed, but just what was it like to be living in your skin today? And as we ask those questions, again, at first they're going to be like, I don't know. But as we ask those questions over time, what that reveals to our kids is we care about them as a person more than anything they do or perform. What's the billboard on your head that your kids see when they see you? When you open up your mouth, ask them a question, do they know what it's going to be? And is it the question you really want to ask? The author continues in Deuteronomy 6, and he warns them that when they come to the land they were meant to possess, that there were going to be obstacles or enemies to passing down these values. And these obstacles or enemies were going to come subtly in the form of an easy life, The author says you're gonna, you're gonna eat from plants you didn't plant, you're gonna drink from wells that you didn't dig. He says this, there's there's gonna be this easy life available to you, and this easy life is gonna become the very thing that hinders your values being passed down to generations. Sound familiar at all with our culture? And so the author warns them, and so as I, as I was reading Deuteronomy 6, I began to think about what are the, what are the enemies in 2022 of, of passing down values? What are the enemies of a quantity of quality time with our, our children, our grandchildren, and with people in our lives. And I came up with two. I'm sure there's plenty more, but for today's purposes, I came up with two. So the first one is busy schedules. By the way, this isn't going to be rocket science, but I think it's so important. The first one is busy schedules. There's a story in Luke 10. If you grew up in church, you know it. There's the two sisters named Mary and Martha, and they find out Jesus is coming to their house to hang out, and Martha... Goes into full hostess mode, right? I'm sure she's cleaning and she's baking and she's doing everything you do and, and, uh, I I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember when, you know, when we're hosting people, it's like, all of a sudden it's like, okay, clean the house. It's like, get all the toys and throw them in that room that we're not going to let them look in. So it looks like we have it all together. I'm not the only one, right? And, uh, I'm sure like Martha's in full cleaning mode, baking mode, and Jesus comes and he's in the living room or the, you know, the other area. And he's talking, and and Martha has a sister named Mary, and Mary's not helping. And if you've ever had, like, a thing that you were supposed to do with someone else, and they don't pull their weight, whether it's a spouse or a sibling, right, it gets frustrating. So we can relate with Martha. Martha gets frustrated. She probably starts muttering under her breath as she's banging around in the kitchen. And finally, she comes storming out, and in front of all the guests, she says to Jesus, she just calls her sister out. She says, tell her to get up and help me. And I mean— If you're reading this story, you're like, yeah, I get it. I get it, Martha. Like, Jesus should probably tell Mary, look, you live here too. Pitch in. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. Is it a good thing to cook food for the God of the universe in human form? I'm going to go with a yes on that one. But is it the best thing? Or is it better to just sit at his feet and have relationship with him? See, I think so often in life, good things are the enemy of the best. And we add all of these good things, believing it will lead to a good life. Right? All these good things, we got to pack our schedule with a few more sports, a few more play dates, a few extra hours at work, a few more church activities. And we believe that if we just pack our schedule with enough good things, it'll be the best life. And I wonder if it's actually the opposite. I wonder if a good thing plus a good thing plus a good thing plus a good thing plus a good thing packed into a crazy busy schedule does not equal the best life. I wonder if in our in our effort to do all the things available to us, we've missed out on really living well. See, choosing what is better is an invitation to slow down and create the life you actually want to live. A life of quality moments as a family, better relationships, better conversations, to choose to dictate your family's pace of life, to allow time for the important things, like just hanging around a table and talking, as opposed to trying to squeeze them in in 15 minutes before you race off to the next thing. Creating a quantity of quality moments will require boundaries. Because everything you say yes to, you say no to everything else. And so here's the challenge for some of us in the room. There might be an opportunity to sit down as a family and look at our schedule. And and when you're in the middle of a season, it's usually impossible to cut things out. But So maybe it's just looking ahead to the summer or next fall and saying, what boundaries do we need to put in place to create the life we actually want to live? To create an opportunity for quality moments as a family. To create an opportunity to laugh together. To not rush from thing to thing. To actually enjoy each other. So if the first enemy is busy schedules, the second enemy lurks in the shadows, and the second we slow down and have a moment where our schedules aren't packed, it's ready to pounce. In fact, I'd be willing to guess some of us are so frustrated with the second enemy that we purposely pack our family's schedules with activities because we would rather deal with packed schedules than this enemy. Because this enemy is a large part of the worst mental health crisis the world has ever seen. It's caused teen attention spans to go from 12 seconds in 2000 to 6 seconds today. By the way, a goldfish attention span is 9 seconds. Our teens are losing to goldfish. Got any guesses? Smartphones and social media. According to recent research, today's typical high school student endures the same anxiety levels as a psychiatric patient did in the early 1950s. And most of that is tied to smartphones, social media, and screens in general. We've talked about this before at Northbrook, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but just a few reminders. In a large survey of teens, this was pre-pandemic, and the levels have only gone up since the pandemic— Eighth graders who spent 10 or more hours per week on social media were 56% more likely to be unhappy than their peers that were not on social media. Eighth graders who used social media increased their chance of depression by 25%. Teens on social media were actually reported being much more lonely than their peers who weren't on social media. Many researchers have said this generation coming up is the most connected generation that has ever walked the face of the planet, but also the loneliest generation that has ever walked the face of the planet. And that's tied to smartphones, social media, screens. Again, I'm not going to belabor the point. Um, If you're interested in hearing more about this, we actually did a podcast on the Northbrook Next Gen podcast called Smart Parenting for Smartphones. You can check that out. We kind of dive into more statistics and talk about um, ways to move forward. I'm not anti-smartphone. We have smartphones in our house, but I do think that smartphones are a tool that can be used for good or for bad. But it's no secret our world has a screen problem. It's well-documented, and it's not just teens. Before we look at all the teens in the room, let's look at the adults too. Many adults are addicted to their phone, even though study after study has shown that people are actually happier when they use their phones less. The less time a person spends on their phone and on social media, the better quality of life they say they have, and the better quality of their relationships. Screens, cell phones, TVs, iPads are not the enemy They're a tool. And they can be used to bring us together as families and as communities, but they can also be used to tear us apart. Recent studies suggest the average American home right now more is passed down from TikTok, YouTube, and Netflix than is passed down from parents. That's a problem. But the good news is we were wired by God for connection and quality relationships. And study after study has shown that no social media, no Netflix binge, no TikTok video can replace the deep desire in every human being's heart for quality relationships with the people around them. God designed us for quality relationships and no screen is going to take that place. Like study after study has shown no matter how connected you are on social media, it doesn't take the place of quality relationships with people right in front of you. It's why the pandemic was so awful for so many teenagers because even though they were on Zoom and they were on their cell phones, that did not take the place of relationships with people that care for them face to face. And so even though we're in this new day in 2022 where uh, there's all of these smartphones and screens, and we're trying to figure out how this works, the good news is we have this beautiful weapon that God has created, and that is the desire in the human heart for real connection. As I think about my children and as they grow up, I I am convinced that when they look back on their childhood, their best moments will not be their Netflix binges, it won't be their TikTok videos, it won't be their Instagram posts. It won't be the games they play on their phones. It'll be the quality moments that we as a family worked hard to create. And the more quality moments that I can make happen by setting boundaries, the more we win as a family. So what would it look like to set boundaries around screens with the intention of creating quality moments? It's not about just taking away. It, there's a goal, which we're going to get to in a second. But what would it look like to set boundaries around screens with the intention of creating quality moments as a family? And that leads me to two more thoughts for you. So once we, once we clear our schedules a little bit and we set boundaries around screens, now what? Right? Because it's not just going to magically happen now that we've created a little margin. Which leaves me with two more thoughts for you. Here's the plan. Number one, define the goal. Define the goal. In Deuteronomy 6, the goal for the Israelites was stated clearly. Teach your children to love God with all their heart. So let me ask you, what's your goal for your family? and maybe a little more specific than just love god like what is what's the goal what are the things you want to communicate maybe it's i want my kids to be thankful or kind or compassionate or loving thoughtful joyful define the goal and then repeat over time an emphasis on that goal this uh this past year, um, I became the head coach for my son's uh, U10 uh, baseball team. And so we started having indoor practices this winter. And from the very first practice, I wanted to establish the goals. I wanted them to know how they win as a team. And obviously the ultimate goal is that they improve as players and we win, right? But I wanted to break that down for them further so they could understand how they win as a player. And so every practice, we start the same way. Every practice— we group up, and I ask them, and I say, "What do we care about on this team?" And they say, "We care about giving 110 percent." And I say, "And what does that look like?" And they say, "That means we, we run out ground balls and fly balls. It means we back each other up. It means we work ab- hard in practice. We always give everything we got." And I say, "Good." And I say, "What else do we care about?" And they say, "We care about having a good baseball attitude." And I say, "What does that mean?" They say, that means we respect the umpires. It means we respect the other team. It means we don't throw our helmet or our glove when we make a mistake. It means that we encourage each other. It means we keep our head up. And I go on, and I could go on, I'm not going to bore the non-baseball fans in the room, but I give them a, a, a set of standards of this is how we win as a team. This is what we care about. So take that to your home. What are the things your family really cares about? And do your children, your grandchildren know it? Define the goal. And secondly, be intentional. With intentionality and consistency, we start having those quantity of quality moments. I had a high school teacher named Mr. Markham and he taught chemistry. And I'll be honest, I hated chemistry. Those of you that like science, God bless you. I hated science class. It was the worst hated chemistry class, but every day Mr. Markham would walk in, and he would walk to the front of the classroom, and he would smile, and he would start class the same way. He would say, it's a great day for chemistry. It's like years later, and I still remember that phrase. Every time someone brings up chemistry, which is not often, but every time someone brings up chemistry, I immediately think, it's a great day for chemistry. The average parent gets 3,000 hours a year with their kids. What are the phrases that your kids are going to remember when you're long gone? Grandparents, what are the phrases your grandchildren are going to remember when you're long gone? The phrases that we intentionally say around our kids become the soundtracks to their life long after we're gone. I want to give you a few practical things as we close for those of you that are not even sure where to start, so real quick, if you're looking for ways to increase the quantity of quality moments, meal times. Uh, counselors say that meal times are one of the best opportunities. In fact, one of the one of the best ways to lower a child's anxiety or a teenager's anxiety is just to create family meal times. Well, there's no rush. There's no agenda. There's just communication. Mealtime is one of the best ways. If you can do nothing else, if you can clear your schedule a little bit to allow for mealtimes, that's a win. Secondly, while you travel. uh, Counselors also recommend that in the car is one of the best opportunities to have conversations because there's a set defined amount of time, right? You're traveling somewhere, right? Don't just get in the car and just randomly travel. But like go somewhere, ice cream shop or whatever, errands, and the child knows there's a set defined amount of time. Also though, you're both looking ahead, And so there's no awkward eye contact. And counselors say that's a great opportunity to have real conversations with people in your life that you care about. It's a set, defined amount of time, and it's not awkward. You're both staring ahead. Free time, obviously, right? Building stuff, playing board games, shooting hoops, running errands, opportunities. You're doing something, but you can have a conversation at the same time. And of course, bedtime and mornings, especially for those of us that have little kids, creating that rhythm of asking questions, creating quality moments. Bedtime and mornings. I want to close with this picture from last weekend. We took a group of 90 of us to win a retreat and uh, it was an awesome weekend. But I think there's probably some that would look at that picture and say, well, there's the future of the church. It's the church of tomorrow. But I disagree. That's not the church of tomorrow. That's the church of today. And the more that we can invest in the church of today, the better the church of tomorrow will be. And so as I close, it doesn't matter to me if you're a grandparent, parent, aunt, uncle, teacher, human being with no relatives. There are opportunities for you to invest the next generation. And I want to challenge all of us to creatively pray about what that would look like this week to increase the quantity of quality moments that we spend investing in the future. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love, and I I just pray right now against any guilt or shame that parents, grandparents feel in this room. I know when we talk about something like this, it's so easy to look back on past mistakes, and even as I prepared this message, it's so easy to notice the ways that I'm falling short of of what I just said. And so, Father, I pray against that. I pray instead that, that people leave here encouraged, looking forward, looking ahead to how they can better invest in the next generation to help them live life well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.